You are listening to the Tricer Podcast, where we talk all things hunting, gear, and the great outdoors. Before we begin, let's start things out right and put God first. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Tricer, and I ask that you can use this podcast as a way to bring joy to all of our listeners. We lay Tricer and this podcast at your feet. Amen. Another episode of the Tricer Podcast. Today I'm joined by Buck Hawley of C&H Precision Weapons out of Georgia. Buck is uh, has a machine shop, machine all kinds of, he was doing rifle parts, now he's doing handgun parts and all kinds of you know, real uh, innovative things for the, the gun industry. And he's also an avid hunter. He was just showing me a picture of a 270 inch whitetail on his wall. So uh, he likes to kill stuff and he likes to kill big stuff. So uh, Buck, how you doing? I'm fantastic. Uh, glad to be with you. So uh, tell me about yourself. Tell me about CNH Precision Weapons. What is it? How did you start doing it? Everyone wants to have a gun company and you have one. So how did that start? Yeah, well, I, uh, I I spent nine years active duty in the Marine Corps. And then I worked for as a government contractor for 13 or 14 years and got burnt out and kind of hurt and was kind of tired of the DC beltway. And, and a buddy of mine and I decided that he was going to retire from the Marine Corps after 27 years of building precision rifles for the Marine Corps, building sniper rifles, M40A1s, A3s, A5s. And I was going to retire out of the government. And we were going to start a precision rifle building company in, in LaBelle, Florida. We both wanted to live in Florida. So we, we moved from the beltway down to Florida. And we started a company and uh, we started building them. He was the primary builder and I was doing marketing and all the other stuff and shooting PRS matches at the same time. So I was trying to promote our product by shooting nationally in the, in the PRS. And, and we did okay for a couple years. We didn't do great uh, as a small startup business. It was very difficult. And then one day, a buddy of mine from Glock called. They were getting ready to go to SHOT Show and they were getting ready to mount. They were going to introduce a Glock that had a Trigicon RMR on it. And if you know anything about pistols, in order to put an RMR on a Glock, you have to have an adapter plate. What is RM? What does RMR mean? Uh, reflex. Man, I don't even know. I'm, I, I don't even want to say because somebody's going to correct me. But it's a it's a reflex sight. So it's a it's a little optic that you put on top of your handgun that. It's no different than a reflex sight that you put on your, uh, like an Aimpoint T1. That okay, you put so it's on your basically like gun. a red dot sight on your it pistol. It is a red dot sight on your pistol, yeah. I got you. Okay. I, they I got were you. the okay. first company to really introduce this in mass to the public in at SHOT Show in 2015. And we made some of the very first plates that they used for marketing to show off this concept. Um, I'm smart enough. I've known, I've worked with Glock for a long time, and I figured that if they were going to do it, it would turn into something uh, it would turn into something big. So we stayed with it. We started making some plates and selling them on eBay of all places. And it seemed like every time I turned around, this little batch that I would make would be sold out. And then we'd make some more. We'd make a hundred, we'd make 50. And then we made a hundred. And within two years, uh, my partner and I parted ways over some disagreements of, you know, should we build, be building rifles or machining these parts and machining pistols and he went one way, I went another, and, and I grew, successfully grew CNH Precision from a two-person company in 2014 at the time to last year we were named the fastest growing privately held manufacturing company in the sixth or seventh state region of the Southeast U.S., and we were number six or seven across the country, five fastest privately held, fastest growing manufacturers uh, in the U.S. 
We've gone from two employees to nearly 60. We've acquired a couple other companies. So we've had a lot of success making these plates to put red dots on pistols. And along the way, we found out all the issues with other companies' red dots, and we decided to fix them. So we started, we designed our own, and now we're making our own red dots. Really? Yeah. That's neat. So you went from, I mean, I guess, so do you think that the rifle market is kind of a saturated market? I mean, everyone's kind of getting a Remington 700 action, trying to make a long action or long range rifle and buying a carbon barrel and putting it on there. And so you found a niche that just worked better for you or what? I, our specialty was, was making authentic Marine Corps sniper rifles. So we, we catered to a very, very niche clientele and we made some really light hunting rifles and we made some competition rifles is it saturated i don't know if it's saturated i just think that at, at, in today's age with the percent with the ability of people to precision machine actions and barrels and stocks you no longer i mean dirty little secret you no longer need a custom rifle builder to build a, a high-end precision rifle you can call impact in Oklahoma and buy an action, have it sent to your FFL. You can call one of two or three, call Foundation Stocks in Oklahoma and get a uh, stock, call Timony or or, or uh, one of the trigger manufacturers, and you can call and get a pre-foot barrel. You can screw the thing to yourself together, and you've got a sub-MOA gun that will shoot absolutely lights out, and you don't need a gunsmith. So you're kind of running into those issues along with big manufacturers like Bergara and Ruger and and all you name all the other ones that are coming out with these amazing rifles. You put a yeah. you put a brand new Bergara, one of their high end ones that cost two thousand bucks. You put it against my five thousand dollar rifle, and they pert near shoot the same. So how do you convince yeah. how do you convince a guy to spend five thousand dollars when he can spend two thousand dollars? Yeah, I get you, man. I uh, I had a, a Tika. 260 uh, Remington that I killed, I mean, countless animals with. And I, I love the rifle. And uh, I actually built a custom 260 off of McMillan Action and did that, paid someone to do it. And I was like, man, I want I want to build another rifle. So I went to do what you're saying. I went and bought a stock from a, a guy and then I went and bought a pre-fit barrel from Carbon 6. I put that gun together and it probably cost me, I don't know, 2,500 bucks to do it. And I mean, I, t- I shoot 1,200 yards with that gun. It, 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 to me, it's, it's, 280, it's a 280 actually improved. Now it's not a 260, but did it all myself. And, and you can do that now. There's the parts out there to make it, you know, I, I still send it off to get, uh, what's it called? Gapped, right? Or when you uh, Accurize or- make, yeah, just make sure everything, did, I didn't, I didn't want to make sure I didn't blow up. But um, honestly, those Tikas are so pre-fit, you're, you're pretty much good to go. Well, I mean, you just put it together and it's You done. tell that story, you know, I've got an equally good story. So this past summer, I took our uh, my significant other and our two daughters to Africa. We went for three weeks. Oh, wow. We hunted for a week in South Africa, and then we went on vacation in Namibia for two weeks. And because you're flying internationally, I, I could have taken one of my high-end guns, you know, it's a you know, it's got the new Shirovsky DS scope. It's got the laser range finder. And, you know, it's it's the most badass gun ever. That's what I shot this big ram with that we'll talk about later. I could have taken that. But when you fly into South Africa and then you travel up north and then you get back on an airplane, you go to Namibia, there's just a bunch of hurdles. It's it's okay flying to one country, but when you start bouncing around to countries, it gets problematic. Okay. So I said, I called my guide and I know him, and I said, Hey, can you just can I just use one of your rifles? He goes, yeah, man, I got you covered. So we get over there. I have no idea what I'm getting into. We get over there. We're going to hunt. And he goes, all right, we're going to go sight in our rifles. And he pulls this. This rifle has to be 20 years old. It was beat to death. 
and I look at it and it's a Mossberg. I don't even know what model it is in 300 short mag. It's got some chintzy little aluminum rings with a one inch tube scope. It's the Vortex, you know, the $350 Vortex Viper or like the, the Crossfire. crossfire. Yeah, it, has yeah. a, it has like a two to 12 Crossfire on it with some chintzy rings. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to use. I mean, it, that thing didn't, that thing didn't hiccup one time. We shot 12 trophy animals. Now we didn't shoot anything super long range, but I, I think I took a shot at five or 600 yards. It killed everything. So yeah. do you need a, do you need a $6,000 rifle? I do, but most people don't. Yeah. I tell people all the time, honestly, like uh, if you're buying a $4,000 rifle and using $400 binoculars, you've got it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go spend buy the expensive expensive binoculars, the nice tripod, get all that yep. stuff, and then worry about the rifle. Everyone, everyone's worried about the rifle. The rifle's sexy. Everyone wants the rifle, man. It's like what caliber are you shooting? You know what? What is it just the guns are fun to buy. We're like as adults, it's like our uh, our Legos for adults, right? Or whatever you know. When you were kids, we liked buying you know whatever Hot Wheels and RC cars and bicycles, and now as adults. I like buying guns. And my wife, yeah. They can't figure out why they can't see. You know, we just got back from Texas hunting and we're hunting in these huge, vast canyons. And what we're hunting camouflages themselves perfectly. The cheap binos, there's guys that went with me that they couldn't see anything. All they see is mountains. Yeah. And I'm picking out I'm picking out sheep here and there. And, and you know, I've got Swarovski binos. I've got a Swarovski spotting scope. I've got a tripod from you. Everything's super stable, and they don't understand. I mean, I didn't even tell them. I, I'm not even. I'm not going to talk about why we why they can't see, see things. I just find animals for them. Let's go get that one, and here we go. Yeah, I hunted those sheep uh, in New Mexico on a. I, I got lucky and drew a public land tag, and that was just a fun hunt, man. They're, if you like glassing and big open country, man, the problem with those sheep is is that. Their eyes are like the size of baseballs, and there's like 40 of them in a herd. I mean, good luck getting any closer than 300 yards on those sheep. It's just like they see you coming from a mile away. That's cool. Well, and that's what you know. That's that's where you know my years of precision shooting come in because we we shoot cross canyon. The the shortest shot we had one rookie shooter, and there was a feeder. We had him shoot one at like 260 yards. Uh, we were all in a little behind a bush and, and, and a little hide. He got one at 260 yards, but all the rest of them we shot at. We shot my big one at 589. We shot the next one at 608, and we shot the next big one at 612. Oh man! So they don't really have a fear of you when you're that far, but you've got to have the hardware and you have to have the knowledge to be able to take those long shots in those canyons when there's you don't see any wind because you're shooting across the canyon, but there's damn sure five to ten mile an hour from right to left or left to right that you've got to compensate for. I want to get into that sheep story, but before we get into that, uh, I kind of like starting out with like, you know, how did you get into hunting? You know, when, when did you start hunting at after you got out of the military? You start hunting when you were six. Uh, I was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, every, oh man! Everybody in my family is a stone cold killer. They, you know, they everybody grew up salmon fishing or hunting moose. Or I still have a big moose tooth necklace that my dad gave me when I was an infant. Um, somewhere in my youth, we moved from a cold state to a colder state. We moved to central Minnesota, uh, where my mom was from and deer hunting is a public holiday there. Now it's only two weekends long. And that's where I actually shot my first deer. I was probably fresh out of gun safety training at 13 or 14 years. We were in Southern Minnesota 
So it's uh, it's archery or shotgun slugs only. So, so here's this 13 or 14 year old car, kid with a 12 gauge with these massive slugs. And, and I remember it was a doe and she was running away from me and I shot her in the in the hiney. And um, I was I was absolutely stoked. And, and my first deer, it was a doe. Who cares? I, that was my first one. That one lit the fire. Every season since then, I would either I then join the military. I would go back to hunt in the fall, or I would find different places where I was stationed to, to hunt. Um, it wasn't until really later in life that you know you're a, a service member, you don't have a lot of money, so you can't really afford to go on these big massive hunts or go target these big animals. It wasn't until the last ten years that I've really been able to afford to go on these epic adventures and bring my kids. And now. From September till January, I would say every other weekend I'm somewhere duck hunting, grouse hunting, pheasant hunting, deer hunting, sheep hunting, elk hunting, you name it, I'm hunting. You're living the dream. I am living the dream. I I, I have been blessed by God uh, to have a great company. I now have the money to do fun stuff and I am raising my kids. Every one of them hunts and harvests and eats what they kill. So I'm raising kids the good old-fashioned American red-blooded way. That's awesome, man. I love when you start telling the story about shooting that doe with a shotgun, how you just start smiling. Yeah. That's why I like starting out with that, because it's just like, you remember that first one. I mean, there's a lot in between that you probably don't remember. You'll never forget that first one. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's neat to get it. And like you said, I mean, once you get it, it's just like, uh, there's something carnal about it. And, I, and you see, like when you said, my family's killers. Like there's certain people when you get that first one, you're just like, I want to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> that felt good. I want to do that again. You know, well, I got other friends who they go to, you know, they go to clean a rabbit and they start gagging, you know, you know, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh man, I want to, I want to skin them. I want to, I start cutting them up and I, I my mouth watering, you know, I just want to go do it again. I love yeah. it. That's awesome, man. So uh, you got you said you have two kids. How many kids you got? I've got three. My significant other's got two more. So we we have a total of five, uh, four girls and, and one boy. Um, the oldest is a girl. The next one's a boy. The next three are girls. Um, Dana's girls don't really hunt. They're not really outdoorsy. They're more artsy, craftsy. Uh, they you know they didn't grow up in a family. You know they've only been part of our family for the last couple of years. But all of my kids have hunted since they were tiny. Uh, and like I said, I just took our 10 year old who's now 11. We took her to Africa. Uh, last year, she shot five trophy animals. I'm taking my oldest daughter. She's 26. I'm taking her to New Zealand in uh, April. We're going to go hunt red stag and tar. That's awesome. I want to do tar so yeah. bad. So I, you know, like I said, my, I, I plan my entire year around different hunts and where I'm going to be and who I'm going to take with me. I'm taking, I've got an employee who has been with me for two years. I, I, he was a bagger at the local grocery store and he is a gun fanatic. He's got multiple sclerosis or cerebral palsy, one of the two. He doesn't walk very well. He's fantastic in customer service. And I said, listen, if you make it to this two-year mark, I'm going to take you on an adventure. Kid's never been on an airplane. He's never shot anything. And I'm taking him to Texas to harvest a bighorn awdad this coming Saturday. Uh, me and George Gardner from GA Precision, Brian Sykes from GA Precision. So there's a couple stone cold killers and we're bringing Thomas along with us. And so it's going to be an epic grand adventure for him. That's awesome, man. That's cool. I get a kick out. I like what you're talking about, taking your kids, taking him out. I just took the uh, college pastor from my church. I, I had a bunch of points in Utah, or uh, I just said the state. I hate to say the states I hunted. 
I had a bunch of points in the state for some cow tags, and I ended up averaging him in with my father-in-law, averaging this college pastor in. And man, he had the time of his life. And I have more fun seeing these guys shoot their first elk or shoot their first deer than I do shoot myself. And I mean, honestly, I killed an elk, and it was like the first animal I've killed in a couple of years because all I've been doing is guiding my boys. My boys have killed, I think, eight or ten big game animals in the last three years, and I've just been guiding, you know? Yeah. And it's just, honestly, it's a little more challenging for them to get an animal than for me. You know, in today's age, you know, I live in, in coastal Georgia. I've got a lot of dude friends. They, we like to hang out at this little tiki bar down in the water and, and they talk football and basketball and kids sports. And we have a farm three hours away in the middle of Georgia that's just overrun with deer. And each of the last two years, I've taken probably six kids from my buddies' families with me and let them harvest their first deer. And you to see the smile on their face and to just watch them erupt with joy and to watch them shake. Like to me and you, <laughs> to me and you, a little doe walks out and like, you know, we're just going to harvest this one because we can. And this kid, I had a kid last year that shot, that shot and missed two does at a hundred yards because he was, he was shaking so bad. And I finally, I brought him home. I'm like, listen, we're going to have a talk. We're either going to give you a shot of whiskey or you're going to just calm down. And the next day he finally got one. It's just so amazing to watch these kids. And then it, it's so gratifying to go back and bring their kids back to their parents and like, listen, this is what you as the parent need to be doing with your kid. Otherwise, you're raising a generation of kids that are not going to appreciate it, are not going to do it, and they're losing out on so many memories. Oh, 100%. My boys just, they both killed elk over there with us. And uh, my one boy, talk about the breathing like that. He he thinks he, he is a stone cold killer. I mean, he kills a lot of stuff and, and uh He's just a killer. He gets it done. But I swear, when he shot this elk, the elk could have heard him breathing at 300. He was, I think it was like 340 yard shot. And he, I, he got done, and he's like, I'm like, dude, you're breathing. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. I'm like, dude, you like are like, sound like a lawnmower over there, dude. You're just like so jacked. He didn't even realize it. I'm like, you're. <laughs> but it was a good time, man. It's always fun. So, uh, so you're not building the precision rifles, but you're obviously still shooting. Are you still shooting PRS or just? I no. uh, I went to the World Championships last year in 2022, and I won uh, individual silver medal and a team gold. And after that, I hung up my spurs. I'm done. I still sponsor the PRS. I went to one or two matches this year just to kind of hang out and see my old buddies. But I, I've lost the fire and the desire. Um, I'm having, you know, I, I, well, sadly I took up now racing Porsches. Uh, that's a little bit more fun than shooting PRS. Uh, you know, I, my priorities have changed. I want to be home more. I want to do things that are not so noisy. My hearing's really bad. Um, so, you know, hunting and racing cars are at this stage in my life are kind of my addictions. Yeah. I, uh, I love riding dirt bikes. So being in the, before I have a, a sheet metal manufacturing company and then I started Tricer. So hunting was my getaway from sheet metal manufacturing. Well now, uh, you know, you can't have a cake you get too. I have a hunting company. And so now my hunts are kind of almost becoming work for me. And people don't understand that, but when you're constantly get content, and I, I love hunting. I'm, I'm going to hunt till the day I die. But I picked up riding bikes again. I haven't got on a bike in almost 20 years. And I started getting on a bike again about a year and a half ago. And I just love it. I mean, getting on a dirt bike. And there's something about being on a dirt bike or say when you're racing, you know, no one can call you, no one can talk to you. And if you mess up, you're going to die. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's like no one can, 
No one can message me. No one can talk to me. And if I make one wrong slip, I'm going to break my neck on my dirt bike, right? Because we're doing, we do like big open desert race, like uh, not racing, but riding, you know, your fifth gear, sixth gear and flying through the desert. And yeah. you, you start thinking about work, you, you're going to crash, go over the handlebars. So I, I really do enjoy that that aspect of it. It, may, it might be kind of similar for you. Like, you know, no employee can talk to me. No one can get to me. No one can message me. No one can email me. It's just me on the dirt bike, right? Yeah. And uh, your hands, when you're racing, your hands are on the steering wheel and you're grabbing that, you're grabbing the, uh, the shifter and you're using the clutch. That's it. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I totally agree. It's, uh, it, it's a different environment and you're, it's stress-free. Uh, I can feel myself being scared, but it's a good feeling. It, it is a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, pardon my language, but I, you know, I like, I like to, I like to feel like I'm crushing my inner bitch. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I plunge every day. I go on a ruck every day with a 70 pound pack. I do. I, I like to do hard stuff to prove to myself, to prove to my body and my mind that I can do it. Uh, and it actually makes my hunts a lot easier. Um, so do hard stuff. So the, I just read a book with my kids, with my 10 year old. Uh, it's called Do Hard Things. Yep. Uh, so it's written by two Christians. They were like 17 years old and they wrote it. So it's a good book for your kids to read. We read it with them and then we went and uh, summited the highest peak in Southern California with a bunch of 10 year olds. And we backpacked up there, slept, then backpacked to the top of the peak. You know, it wasn't the, the craziest hike, but for a 10-year-old, it was gnarly, right? And it was called Do Hard Things. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, it's good to do something miserable. I go to the gym every single day, even if I don't want to go, because I want to do something miserable. Right. And when there's a, if there's an exercise I don't want to do, I always do it. And I always add weight to it because I want to make it even harder. Because when you shoot an elk and you're six miles from the truck, like, you got to get it out. So I always just tell myself, I always do something miserable every single day. And, uh, it, you know, it just, it just helps. I think it's good for men to do that. Men are soft and it's good for men to do, yeah. do stuff like that. It's good for men. To, like we said, you know, you kind of get rid of your inner, uh, your inner bitch. I, I, I like that. You know, there's something about it. People don't understand, right? This general adrenaline with going fast. Something about, you know, and you start cracking a hundred miles per hour and you know, you're on the, bo- you're on the line of like, I used to uh, have a, like a race boat, a, a two seater hydro is gnarly. It was like a piece of plywood with 600 horsepower on the back. There's something about like being on that line of in control and out of control that just feels good. And uh, that's pretty neat. They're racing Porsches. Are you doing that like all over the South over there? Or? Yeah, we've, we've been to, uh, we, uh, we, we've been to Watkins Glen in New York. Uh, oh, wow. Finger Lakes area was beautiful this summer. Been to uh, Virginia, been to Florida. There's a track here locally. Um, and next year it looks like we have a full schedule to kind of go, you know, from the Mississippi over. Um, so, you know, if I can fit those in between hunt trips, I'm, oh, <laughs> I will certainly make as many of them as I can. So what's this run, this like cannonball run thing they do from like New York down to Key West? Ever seen that thing? That's what you should be getting into. That sounds like a fun, I guess it's totally illegal. I, I, watched, <laughs> just, I watched a documentary on that. I believe it was on Netflix and it was from like New York to San Diego or Phoenix or somewhere. Oh yeah. They do those too. And yeah. these guys were absolutely amazing and gnarly. I think they were racing. The, I think that the guys I watched were racing some kind of an Audi and they had 10 radar detectors. They had people in front of them. They had people in back of them. And the, and the average speed was unbelievable. Like they, they averaged like 150 miles an hour across the whole. I don't, know, I don't know how you can do it without crashing. Why don't I do it? Do it because I run a company and I, I try to, I try to do is everything I try to do within the, within the letter of the law so that I don't get jammed up by local state or feds. And, um, yeah, it sounds like, fun, I gotcha. but, uh, yeah, I'll stay, I'll stay racing on the track where it's perfectly legal. So 
Are you on a track or is it open road stuff that you're racing? It's a it's a road course, so it's a track. It's a road road course road course track. Okay, so it's like a road course track. It's not NASCAR where okay. there's four cor- four turns. It's it okay. looks like a snake. And I'm, I'm going through the infield. Doing the, yeah, I'm following. I'm tracking yeah, you. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. All right, so uh, kind of went off of hunting there a little yeah, bit, but right. uh, tell me about. I always like to hear, you know, like a really good hunting story, okay. man. Tell me, tell me something. Tell me something awesome. I got, I got so many hunting stories, but I got one. It's from my youth. Actually, I was probably still in the Marine Corps. I went home. We had, a, we had three or four or five hundred acres in northern Minnesota, and I was hunting with my uncle Rod. Uh, Rod is a stoic figure. Uh, you know, put a beard, a hat on him. He looks like Santa. But he is, he's, he's really into hunting. So we had, we had to drive from our cabin in a pickup truck about two miles to get to his property. So he owned a separate piece of property that wasn't part of the family property. And he really managed it well. He would put, he would put uh, food plots in and we had a couple deer stands. And my deer stand was on his property. And while I was home for this three or four week process, I would ride with him. One morning, we get to the we get to where we're going to park the truck. It's cold. It's in the morning. We go out to our deer stand. We don't see anything. We come back. We're both standing on opposite sides of the tailgate, taking a leak. <laughs> and now we can't see each other because the truck's between us. But we're looking forward towards the hood, and both of us at the same time says, "Hey, do you see that?" And like this eight point buck walks in front of the like. 20 yards in front of the truck. We're standing there with our with our junk out, taking a leak, and here come, we haven't seen nothing all morning. Here comes this eight-point buck. And I said, Don't move. I'm gonna reach in my I'm gonna reach in the round of the tailgate and grab my rifle and see if I can get him. As soon as I as soon as I zipped, he was gone. We're like, ah, oh, okay, so that was in the morning. In the evening, we came back. Now everybody's texting me. Um, so in the evening we came back and now we're getting ready to go out to hunt. We're putting all our stuff on. And like clockwork, we both take a leak because we don't want to take a leak out in the, in the deer stand. And behind the truck, 100 yards, here goes the same deer going back this, you know, he went left before. Now he's going right. He's going back towards our deer stands. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is the second time today we've seen this guy. So at that point, again, forgive my language, but we started calling him Dick in Hand Buck. <laughs> so... so so we're like, oh, this is crazy. So the next morning, I don't think the next morning we saw him, but like some point during the middle of the day, the next day, the same thing, except I think I was the only one taking a leak and there he goes. So I said, okay, I am going to just sit at the tailgate of the truck. I'm just going to hunt from here. Hunted the rest of the day. Didn't see him. The next morning we, we get to the truck, we get out of the truck and... I, I happened to get a glance of him, but he was down the road 200 yards, and I was ready for him. So I had my gun. I, I proned out on the ground. He, he jumped up in the middle of the road, very stoic. It's early morning. He looks down the road both ways, and I launched one at him. Now, now at this point in the day, this dude's a huge eight, maybe a 10-pointer. I smoke him. He rolls headfirst down in the ditch, snow's flying everywhere, and off into the bushes he goes. So I, uh, we, don't have, we don't even have text messages at this point. I think we had radios or something. And I, I said, I, I think I got Dick and Handbook. And he goes, all right, well, let me know if you need any help. So I go walking down the road. I follow his tracks and there's blood. I follow his tracks and I look for him for half an hour. I can't find him. So I call Rod. And I'm like, I need some help. So we go back to the road and we, we walk back in again, follow his tracks. But then we kind of we lost him. 
And I'm sitting there and I see a little bit of steam coming off the snow behind some grass and behind some bushes about 10 or 15 yards away from me. I, I went the wrong way. I look over to my left and there's a little bit of steam. I'm like, maybe that's him. And I walk over there expecting to find the trophy of my life, the biggest deer probably I've ever shot. I walk over there and this dude was like a, a little miniature six point. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember looking up and he goes, you find him? I said, well, I found him, but this certainly isn't Dick and Heron buck. <laughs> this one's way smaller. And uh, so that was the funny story about Dick and Handbuck was that he never really was as big as we thought he was because we'd only ever get little glimpses of him. And then when we ended up getting him, he was certainly not as big as uh, we ended up putting him on the wall just out of uh, there used to be a rule that you couldn't put a buck on the wall at the cabin unless he was eight points or bigger. This guy made the wall as a joke. And it's uh, at my expense now as everybody. (laughs) Oh, man, that's funny. So my kid, one of my kids was hunting with my buddy on that hunt they just did, we were just on, for elk, and, and they got down, and they're laying there, it's the middle of the day, and they, they heard the elk, like, well, what's going to get down here? They're going to cross us at some point. They're going to come down this canyon and cross us. And so, no joke, as soon as my kid stood up and left his rifle, these elk came out, and my buddy shot one from under a tree sleeping. He woke up and shoots an elk, my, my kid's over there, dick in hand, and did not get her. And I told him, I was like, dude, you have to have... Like it is Murphy's law that you have to have your, especially if you're like bird hunting, like you need to have your shotgun with you. Cause as soon as you drop your pants, those ducks are flying over your head. Like you got, like, they're coming. So uh, yeah, he learned his lesson. Like you always got to bring your rifle, buddy. You go and shoot, you go and take a pee. You can take a dump. You take that rifle. You never know if something's going to step out. It might be the only time they step out for the week. Yep, right in front of you. Oh man. That's, that's funny. That's good. So uh, you got any, what other hunts you got coming up? This year. Uh, well, we're going back to the same place in Texas that we just got done hunting two weeks ago. Um, we, I took a county commissioner, our civil engineer for a new building that we're building, and uh, a city councilman. So I took all my politician friends two weeks ago out there. And then on Saturday, we leave to go back to um, basically Amarillo, Texas. It's about 45 miles from there. We'll hunt there and for some more sheep and then the rest of this this fall i think it'll just be hunting here in georgia with uh, my kids and some other neighbor kids uh, at our farm here in georgia for whitetail do you do any archery stuff or all right yeah man i just it's funny i'm looking at it. it's right there i just purchased my one of my best friends and my work neighbor he's uh he owns a shop next to me He's a big bow hunter. He's been hounding me. He's bought a couple rifles from me. He's been hounding me to get into bow hunting. I've never, ever in my life shot a bow. Um, I like long range precision. And um, I just bought a new, brand new a Hoyt with all the gizmos and widgets and stuff. And um, I've got to sight it in. It's it's a little bit too soon to take him to Texas to try and shoot one of these sheep. A, because they're hard to shoot with a bow. And Oh my gosh, yes. And I haven't practiced at all. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get this joker set up. And I'm going to take it to Africa next year. I'm going to shoot a buffalo, Cape Buffalo, but I'm not going to, I don't dare shoot one of those big mean suckers with a bow. But where I'm going to hunt, I have the opportunity to shoot Oryx or Impala or Kudu or you name it. So my goal is to get my Cape Buffalo with a rifle and some other trophy with the bow next year uh, while I'm in Africa. 
So I'm going to try and get it done and see how much fun it is. You seem like the kind of guy who doesn't do anything halfway. So I imagine that once you start doing the bow stuff, you're just going to be addicted to it. I probably will. But I'm telling you what, hunting, I think that there's a difference. I think that my, that my style of rifle hunting is what most people's style of bow hunting is. Um, you got to find something that's, I mean, I don't shoot anything that's 200 yards away. That's That's just a piece of cake. I really enjoy hunting Idaho, Alaska, Montana, you know, pronghorn, where they can see you and you can see them unless you're a really long ways away. And there's a lot of atmospheric conditions between you and them. You know, shooting something out from underneath a feeder at 100 or 150 yards, you might as well be bow hunting. But once you start putting an animal, an elk, a mule deer, whitetail, sheep, you get them somewhere between that 500 and 800 yard range, it's very sporty and you really need to know what you're doing. And that's just my addiction. I think you're right. I think that once I get into the bow hunting, I will probably add that to my quiver and pardon the pun as one of my favorite things to do because I think that it just increases, you know, from everything that I've read and everything that I'm told, it just makes you such a better hunter overall because you got to really understand when, not from this perspective of what's it going to do to your bullet. You got to understand what it's going to do with your scent and where, you know, what, you know, yeah, there might be a big buck in front of you, but you can't draw on them because maybe the doe that's right next to you might, might grunt or spook them or, you know, so those things you never have to worry about when you're shooting 600 yards away. So I know I told you 35 minutes, 40 minutes, but I want to hear, I'm intrigued now because you like shooting long range, right? Yeah. It's a little con- it's a little controversial, less controversial. I like shooting long range as well. Tell me, what are you? So you're going to go shooting, right? You're going to go on a hunt in whatever. You're going to go on a sheep hunt in British Columbia. Yep. What rifle are you bringing? What caliber? Well, what does that look like? What scopes on it? What are you using for ballistics? What do you do? The whole be the whole. Setup? Okay, so uh, my rifle from top to bottom, there there are some parts that just don't change regardless of caliber. It's a um, it's a trigger tech. I, I now shoot trigger tech tr- triggers set it about a pound. Uh, I want it at a nice crispy pound. I shoot a foundation stock. It's a very Christian conservative company out of Oklahoma. We shoot the PRS together. So it's a, it's a Makarta stock. Is that like a, is that like a traditional stock or is that like a, um, like a, a modular stock, like the new stock? No, it's the, a very, it, it looks like a wood stock. Okay. And it's shaped like a wood stock and it feels like a wood stock, but it's a little bit heavier and it's very dense. Chass- I was looking for a chassis. It's not a chassis. Yeah, I've invented okay. a couple of those, and I don't shoot those because they're they're heavy, they're sharp, they don't they don't feel good in your pack. Okay, you know, and so I just don't. I, I like the feel of wood or wood similar. Uh, Impact actions. They're out of Oklahoma too. Tate Streeter uh, Streeter owns that company. It's the smoothest, most reliable action on the market. They're expensive, but they're worth it. Uh, I get my barrels done by George Gardner at GA Precision or Wade at Stuteville Precision. You know, they're, they're historic and custom rifle barrels. And then I just screw it together. Now, as far, and then I put some kind of a can. I'm pretty much suppressor agnostic. I don't care what kind of suppressor it is as long as it's a suppressor to protect my ears and everybody around me. As far as caliber, this is where I'm a little bit of a geek. You know, everybody, everybody picks their caliber based on reading some blurb of some some overweight, old, gray-haired gun writer in a magazine. Like, oh, this is the new, cool caliber. Well, yeah, it's new and cool, but is it going to do for you what it needs to do? Is it going to be too much power? Is it is it going to be enough? So my two calibers of choice these days, and I've, I've, I've gotten rid of every other rifle. I've got several of each, 6.5 PRC and a 300 PRC. 
So, you know, if anybody doesn't know, a 6.5 PRC is nothing but a 6.5 Creedmoor with a short action Magnum case. So it's, it's, you're running at about two or 300 feet extra per, uh, feet per second. The 300 PRC is a long action Magnum. It's, it's nothing more than a, than a modern 300 wind mag. So that's when you really need to knock, knock the hell out of something. A big elk, a, a big, you know, some kind of a big animal where you need a lot of muzzle velocity and a lot of energy on target. Then I determine uh, what bullets are you running in those? Are you running like an ELDX or I, I shoot Burger in my Ackley? What are you shooting? I run box ammunition from Hornady, and I do not really I do not. Yeah, you can't beat it. I will. I guarantee you. You put me up against any any professional shooter on a range. I will go toe to toe with that rifle and box ammunition from Hornady all day long. This ELDXs. They I shoot their match bullet. Okay, the ELDMs. Yes, yes. So ELD, yeah, ELDM. So in the 300 PRC, I'm shooting, I believe it's a 225 grain bullet. Okay, it's a big old, yeah. And in the 6.5 PRC, don't quote me, but I think it's the 147 or 148 grain uh, ELDM. Yeah, 147 or 154, something like that, 147. No, it's, okay. it's a 147 or 148. Okay. Now, okay. a lot of people are like, oh, you can't shoot stuff and kill stuff with matched bullets. Well, hey, listen, watch any of my videos, watch any of my collection. All of it's been shot with match bullets because they perform better. They're faster and they're, they fly truer. Uh, they might not disip, they might not come apart like some of these other bullets do, but I want to be able to hit a target at a long ways away and put as much energy on target. Then what I do is I figure out what's the size of the animal that I'm taking. And because I'm a, you know, a, a little bit of a geek as, as in the math department, I figure out how big the animal is. And I've got a chart that figures out how much energy on target do you need to ethically kill that animal, which is typically about, you know, for an elk, they, you know, it's recommended that you have at least 1500 pounds, foot pounds yep. of energy on target to kill an elk. So I'm glad that you're bringing this up because this is something I'm a big proponent yeah. of is energy. And I can, you can shoot a 6.5 Creedmoor accurately after a thousand yards, but I would not, I tell people all the time, do not shoot a note past 350, 400 yards of the 6.5 Creedmoor because you're going to lose all your energy. Yeah, that's, that's a, the bullet's not going to do what it needs to do. It's a coyote rifle at 800 yards. It's not an elk rifle at 800 yep. yards. So then yep. you, you do the math and you, and you figure out where I'm going, how far can I see, how much energy on target. So if I'm, if I'm hunting elk in a forested area and I'm only going to be able to see them 300 yards, I'm going to shoot a 6.5 PRC. If I'm gonna if I'm shoot them in the on the plains of Idaho where I can see a thousand yards and I might only get a shot at 800 or 900 yards or 700 yards I'm gonna shoot a 300 PRC so I kind of I kind of judge I don't have a one caliber fits all I basically pick the animal the environment that I'm hunting and I do the math and I figure out what's the best option for that hunt as far as scopes I've got four of these. They're $6,000 a piece, but the Swarovski DS scope. This scope is a 40 millimeter tube. It's got a laser rangefinder built into it. It calculates your density altitude, your, your angle up or your angle down. It gives you hash marks for wind, whether you want four, six, eight, 10, 12, 15 mile an hour winds left and right. It's, the, really? it's absolutely the fastest scope and the deadliest scope on the market. No longer do you need a laser range finder and you range them and then you look at your ballistic chart or your, your Kestrel, which I used to do, and then figure out what it is. And then you dial your scope. And by then the, the sheep or the elk can move 25 or 30 yards. So mm -hmm. it's off. 
This DS scope, you get, you put the crosshairs on them, you hit the button, it ranges it within a quarter of a second, it gives you a return, it gives you a red dot, this is what your hold is, you figure out what the wind is, you pull the trigger, it's done. Yeah, I like that. I did, my kid had a miss last weekend and he went way under an elk because he, we had ranged it, ranged her at like, I don't know, it was like 280, he should have 308, but they're both, it's, it's a good cartridge for a kid, I, I like that cartridge. She was like 284. Well, she moved back to 340 and everything's going on. And I'm like, oh, you're going to be fine. Cause like my gun, it's like a naughty, it's like a half MOA difference from my shooting my 100 grade burgers out of a 280 Ackley. Well, I didn't think anything of it. It's like a four foot drop at a 308, 50 yards. Yeah. So yeah, it just, it moved back and I just didn't think to, I just, yeah, it was, it was my fault. I was like, hey, my fault. So I watched the door hit below her. You were clean, walked up to look for blood just to make sure, but she wasn't there. So yeah, I like that. It'll actually, because it happens. You try and get set up and they start moving, you know, especially if things, sometimes, you know, especially when you're under that, you know, 300 yard mark, things start seeing you. If there's a herd of animals, things start moving a little bit. You know, they that elk might not even see you, but the other elk, you know, saw you over here, started moving, you know, because your things are going on. And the next thing you know, you're going to shoot and the animal's, you know, 40 yards closer or 40 yards further away. Well, you know, know that's, it's been my thing for years. I, I see these rifles come out with these, you know, or these scopes with these BDC reticles. You know, I, I could go on for hours, but, you know, if you pick up a box of ammo, I don't have a box of ammo on my desk. You pick up a box of ammo, it says, yeah, this 6.5 PRC goes 2850. Well, how did, how did you get a round number? It's not 28. Yeah, it's, not, it's not <laughs> at all. Every rifle, every Just rifle shoots slightly different. <laughs> and then people build these ballistic charts and then they climb a mountain and they wonder why they're they're shooting high because the air is less dense or they, they don't understand density altitude. There's just so much to, again, this is why I love long range shooting. There's temperature, humidity, density, altitude. There's altitude. There's wind, there's spin drift, there's all this stuff. It, you, I mean, the average person can't shoot something at 500 yards, and we routinely do it at six, seven, eight, nine hundred 900 yards. Wow, that's neat. That's really neat. So, uh, yeah, and on the same thing with that whole the BDC drop stuff, most of those are on second focal plane scopes. People don't realize it's a second focal plane scope. You have to set the scope to exactly to the right spot for your bullet that you're shooting. Those things are pretty much dead now. I mean, everyone's kind of gone to the CD. Like, I like, I think a CDS is a great scope, especially for my kids or someone trying to get into shooting a little bit further. Put a CDS on there, you know, out to four or 500 yards, you're going to be pretty darn close. Yeah. Um, I try to keep my kids under four, and they've been really accurate at that. Uh, but yeah, those those second focal plane scopes with a beat with a bullet dropping them, people don't understand how to use them. So if you just put it on all the way up to twelve power, you're you're probably four power past where you're supposed to be to have that thing work for your bullet you're shooting. And they're not, you know, that scope isn't made just for a thirty out six, hundred and fifty grain bullet. It's made for every thirty caliber bullet, right? Or every, you know, whatever it is. It's just I I learned the hard way with that when I first started getting into hunting and it's like, man, once I started understanding ballistics and I actually use some SIG Kilo binoculars that have ballistics in them. Yep. So it, it calculates my, you know, my uh, elevation, all that in there. Cause it does change a lot. Um, you can put the wind in there. And I also have stray lock on my phone, which I didn't even realize that stray lock was Russian. You realize that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, uh, Apple just shut them down. So if you had a stray lock, do not delete it. Cause you'll not get it back. <laughs> so <if> you have, <laughs> I've never owned it. I, I'm a firm believer in applied ballistics. I've, uh, when I worked for the government, I worked very closely with them. Uh, watched the development of the applied ballistics algorithm, and now you can get it in a watch. You get it in. It, it, it's in all these different uh, pieces of hardware. It's. It's. I'm a firm believer in. In there's several different companies that do it really well. But yeah, if if people don't have some kind of a ballistic solver, they are they're just throwing rocks. 
100%. 100%. And when you start really looking at ballistics, and I like what you're saying too about using like the, the match grade bullets. And the reason why a match grade bullet is so much better than a hunting bullet for longer range shots. Let's say you're using that same 6.5 PRC and you're using a 125 grain copper bullet, right? A Barnes bullet. Well, the ballistics of that bullet, it might come out of that gun 200 feet per second faster. Mm-hmm. But once you hit 300 yards, it's probably going slower than that bullet that came out of your rifle 200 feet slower. Yeah. Because you got the um, the ballistics coefficient of that bullet is so much yeah. more. So you want those in those long range in the longer situations. You want a longer bullet, longer, heavier bullet. It's going to buck the wind better, and ballistically, it's just going to perform much better at, at range. So you might have a bullet that's yeah, it's going three thousand feet per second out of your rifle, but once you get to two hundred fifty yards, three hundred yards, that thing's just falling off quick. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And I, I am a little disappointed. I thought for sure you were going to be shooting a seven millimeter of some sort. It's like, no. uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. I was shooting, I was, I, I shoot 260. I don't shoot Creedmoor. I love 260. It's probably one of my favorite cartridges. But then I've got the seven millimeter bug right now. I just love that, that uh, caliber. Well, all of my buddies, you know, I, I have a ton of friends that live in that, you know, from Kansas City to Oklahoma and Northern Texas. And, you know, I know Jason Hornady. Um, all of my good friends have now that own rifle companies or work in their industry. They've all kind of migrated to the seven, the seven millimeter, the seven PRC, and they're raving about it. I'm just at a stage in my life where I've seen too many things come and go fads. My six, five PRC works like a champ. My 300 PRC works like a champ. I don't, and, and I, and I literally have, when I buy ammo, I call not Jason Hardy, but I call somebody that works for Jason. I said, I need a pallet. Now I don't buy I don't buy a case. I buy like 25 cases of ammo. This is enough ammo to last me probably two rifles. So if I changed, I'd have to buy another pallet. Now I've got, then I'd have three pallets. I'd have enough ammo for four lifetimes. So I'm going to stick with what I got. I know it. I trust it. I, I too kind of have the seven millimeter bug, but I don't want to, I don't want to put together another rifle and have another cartridge and have another mag. You know, this mag, you know, that's why, you know, my, 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 uh, 300 PRC doesn't even have a mag. It's it's an internal mag, so I can't lose the mag. There's nothing more frustrating than being like, oh my god, where's the I mag? Like that. Uh, so yeah, I'm just. I, I do I do like that. I like simple things, right? Like a tricer is fast light simple. Yeah. And I like simple rifles. I like no mag. I like I like that a lot. All top fed. Um. Yeah, and I, I do agree that there's something to be said about we all shoot. I don't have one. But all my friends shoot. Could my father-in-law 30 nozzler, which is essentially a 300 PRC before 300 PRC, right? And man, I'll tell you what, I tell them, and you can't shoot my targets anything closer than 300, 400 yards. Because when those things hit, the amount of, it's like a freight train hitting. I mean, even at a thousand yards, you, they, they're all shooting like uh, 215 to 220 grain burgers. And when it, those things hit, I mean, that gong is swinging. <laughs> it is, it is horsepower. I mean, that's what those are. Those things are just, they're horsepower. It's just awesome, man. They hit something, it's, it's going to die. No. <laughs> it's going to. You definitely want, and, it, and they buck the wind. I mean, we'll go out and you know, you you, can, you might be holding twenty foot to the right with a six five, you know, Creedmoor, or those things. You're only you know eight foot to the right because yeah. you know it's just they buck the wind, man. They just really handle the wind well, and they're they're. Uh, I always say you can't kill them too dead, no. right? People will get all caught up and oh, that's a huge cartridge. Really, it's not. I mean, it should the same size bowl as a three hundred eight. Well, you know, you know uh, again, those people that say that, like, if you if you have a well placed shot, you put it in the brisket. You know, in that cavity, there's there's not a whole lot of edible meat there anyway. Yeah, the front shoulders, the rear quarters, the back straps. You put it right in that center zone. You take out their heart, their lungs, their liver. I mean, you wasted some rib meat. 
Yeah, we just killed five elk, and every single elk was like a perfect shot, right behind the shoulder. It was great. We only had one. We had one that got shot and started running, and he got another one, and it ended up going through the hindquarter. But it was it already had a good shot on yeah. it. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of uh, you shoot elk until they're on the ground. <laughs> I tell my kids, you just keep shooting them because I don't want to find them. Right. Right. And they, and they try and when they die, they always just find a way to die in like the worst possible location. So like just keep shooting that elk until it's on the ground, son. But yeah, you put it behind the shoulder right there, and, and uh, I don't like shooting through the shoulder. I like shooting right behind the shoulder, a little a little pocket right there. You see it, makes you smile thinking about it. Right. You put your crosshairs on that thing, and you don't really waste any meat at all. It's just it's crazy, especially with the broadside. Yeah. You're correct. Yeah, for sure. Well, Buck, that was a good podcast, man. Um, where can people find you? Do you have videos out? Yeah, I uh, they go. Uh, so you can find me at. Uh, I'm I'm kind of a recluse now. I don't answer many phone calls, but you can go to chpws.com. That's our webpage. If you go to YouTube, uh, the chpws YouTube page, there's a recent video on there about our recent hunt in Texas. It's it's a lot of business stuff. It's you know how to mount plates and how to mount optics on pistols, but occasionally we'll throw one in. The Africa hunts on there. Um, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Buck Holly. Just my name, no spaces. Uh, once in a while, I get on the CHPWS Instagram page, but I, I'm I'm trying to to remove myself a little bit as the face of the company and let the younger generation take over. And um, and I that and I don't I, I admit openly admit that I have a very low tolerance or threshold for stupidity. Um, <laughs> people on the internet, I don't you know I, I like to post and ghost. Um, I don't make comments anymore. I've gotten in too much, not trouble. I just get in these stupid arguments that drag me down and make me mad and, and I don't sleep at night. So I, I stay off the internet. I don't have Facebook, uh, but you can find me on Instagram, Buck Holly. I post pictures of wildlife and my kids doing cool shit. I posted a picture last night of my 11 year old driving my classic Porsche, learn how to drive a stick shift. And so if you want family content and a little bit of motivation about working out and doing hard stuff. Find me on Instagram or go to CHPWS and uh, look us up and see what we're about. Awesome, man. Well, thanks, Buck. Let's, uh, let's do it again. Thank you. I'll send you some pictures when I'm done hunting next week. Thank you for listening to the Tricer Podcast. Do us a favor and like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Tricer USA. And go and check out all of our innovative gear at www.tricerusa.com. Until next time, shoot straight, have fun, and always put God first.